This is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for tuning in today. Two competing visions for what to do with Minnesota's projected $9.25 billion budget surplus were outlined this week at the Minnesota Capitol. Republicans in the Senate want to use most of the money for a big income tax cut, including eliminating taxes on Social Security income. Democrats in the House take a different approach. They target tax cuts and credits to parents of young children, renters, first-time homeowners, and others. They uh, also want to increase spending by more than a billion dollars on schools. That compares to a Senate school spending plan of about $30 million. We're going to focus on that House plan now with one of its chief architects. Melissa Hortman is the Speaker of the Minnesota House. She's a DFLer from Brooklyn Park. Speaker Hortman, thanks so much for coming in today. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Well, let's start with the big picture. Uh, What's the thinking behind uh, the DFL approach to the surplus, and what are you trying to achieve here? We're really looking at targeting the assistance to the people who need it the most. We're focused on workers and families and seniors. And when we look at what our students and our educators have been through the last two years, we're also really focused on providing schools the resources they need to take care of both the students and the educators. The Republicans in the Senate say uh, the sheer size of the surplus shows that Minnesotans are overtaxed and that cutting that lowest tier on the income tax would help all Minnesotans. Are, Are they wrong about that? They are wrong about that because when you look at last year's state budget that we constructed together on a bipartisan basis, it was short in the area of education. It was short in the area of paying our health care workers who do some of the most important work in the state. And how we know it's short is that we have a severe shortage of bus drivers and education support professionals. We have a severe shortage of workforce in our nursing homes and in our hospitals. And so when we look at a projected state surplus of $9.2 billion, that is on a budget that was a little bit deficient in those areas of education and health care, and particularly deficient in terms of paying those most important workers to do this very important work. Um, the governor had proposed one-time checks, uh, Wall's checks. Uh, your plan doesn't include that. Why not? We have a similar approach. What we look at is the workers and families and seniors who need tax cuts the most. And so we focus a lot of our tax bill on providing a child care tax credit for those families who have children in in child care and also a child tax credit rebate. We know that families are really struggling to get by. So when uh, Chair Paul Marquardt and our tax committee constructed the bill, we really wanted to focus in on giving tax cuts to people who actually need it. And if I remember correctly, the uh, child care credit, $3,000 per child up to a, a maximum of $7,500, what, what do you think that would do? Well, that's right. You know, we know we have a workforce shortage in Minnesota, and we know that the, the labor workforce participation rates have decreased since COVID. And part of that is the struggle to find affordable child care. When I was a young attorney with two children in daycare, it was really a struggle to have it make sense for me to go out and work given the high cost of child care. And if there had been a child care tax credit like this, it would have meant a lot more to our family would have made it a lot easier for me to be a part of the workforce. And that's what we're hearing from families right now. They need help with the high cost of child care, and our tax plan would give them that help. 
another thing your plan does is uh, you talked about a little bit about it, increasing spending for schools. Uh, I think it's $3 billion over the next three years uh, well, where the Senate has a much smaller increase for schools. Um, did uh, You said that the, the budget wasn't good enough that you passed last year, but wasn't there a big increase in the per-pupil spending last year? There was a slight increase. There was about 2% in each year. And as we now know, that was not enough to keep up with inflation. We also know from uh, the St. Paul teachers and from the Minneapolis teachers an experience which is shared statewide, which is that our educators are really suffering with the mental health needs of the students, and they need more counselors at schools. They need more social workers. During the two years that children have been struggling to learn during COVID, it's been a tough time. So we need to provide those resources for mental health support. We're talking with uh, Melissa Hortman. She's the Speaker of the Minnesota House. She's a Democrat. And uh, Democrats in the House this week came out with their plans for that nine and a quarter billion dollar state budget surplus. That's what we're talking about this hour. Another thing that that the Republicans in the Senate do is basically eliminate taxes on Social Security income. They say that uh, a lot of other states don't tax that income and that seniors have earned it. They're taxed twice, they say, on Social Security. I wonder if there's a, a philosophical uh, approach you take that is aimed more at young families instead of seniors. Is that fair to say? No, not not actually, because our tax plan has uh, property tax cuts for senior citizens, and our tax plan also excludes all Social Security income from taxation for anyone earning $75,000 a year or less. What the Senate Republican tax plan is, is very tilted to the rich. And there's a little bit of a sleight of hand uh, where you don't see that when they talk about lowering the, the, the lowest tier or the Social Security rate. But, but in actuality, the vast majority of the tax cuts in their plan go to the top 20% of taxpayers, people who generally do not need a tax cut and are doing quite well despite the pandemic. And so it, it, it's up to the legislature to decide who needs a tax cut and who doesn't? We do know that, yeah, that that's exactly our job. And we know that during COVID-19, for a lot of people, they struggled. Uh, for a lot of people, they had to go to work. And that tended to be people at the lower wages who had to go in every day and work with other people and have that risk of bringing COVID home to their family. And uh, those are folks who've been struggling over the last two years. We also know that a lot of white-collar workers who were able to work at home actually are in a financially better position because of the costs that they were able to save over the last two years. Um, so, yes, we think that there's a big difference between people who need a tax cut and people who don't need a tax cut. Another place you see that is in these exorbitant uh, corporate profits, That it's whether it's the oil companies or some of our retailers, they are doing quite well, and they are not in need of a tax cut right now. There's a lot of Minnesota families that are really struggling paycheck to paycheck. That's who we're aiming to help. Uh, another uh, issue uh, that you talked about a little bit, uh, housing. Uh, you talked about a, a break for seniors. Um, what else is in the House DFL budget uh, for housing? We had a couple of questions come in just when we said you were going to be on from people wondering uh, what is the state doing to make housing more affordable for people? Well, this is a really high priority for our entire House DFL caucus team. 
And so we have about $2 billion in our proposed budget invested in uh, creating and preserving more affordable housing and helping folks with those emergency shelter needs. Uh, Unfortunately, we've seen the rates of homelessness uh, grow in recent years. And for that reason, we have a committee focused on preventing homelessness. And we have a budget in that area of $150 million. And our chair of that committee, Aisha Gomez, has uh, proposed this $150 million in spending to help those who need to get into shelter so that we can make really a significant dent in homelessness. And um, much more than the Senate has proposed. Yes, there's other places in our budget that we're proposing significant investments. We're proposing $400 million in housing infrastructure bonds, and those um, investments help to create more affordable housing. We're also proposing a considerable amount to preserve naturally occurring affordable housing. That's housing that's on the market that's in danger of being bulldozed and having higher value homes built uh, where that naturally occurring affordable housing exists. And we're also proposing in the bonding bill to invest $100 million in renovating and rehabilitating the public housing stock in Minnesota. When do you expect to pass a bonding bill? Well, that's always a very interesting conversation because it requires a supermajority in the House and the Senate. And so whereas the budget decisions can be the majority caucuses in the House and the Senate, so two entities plus the governor, um, the bonding decision is really four caucuses and the governor uh, making a deal. So my hope would be that that is a bill that would pass very early in May. And do you expect Republicans to support some of these budget proposals that you're you're offering? I do in some areas. I think we will find some common ground in health and human services spending. I think that there is some shared concern on a bipartisan basis for the wages of our healthcare workforce. I also think that we're going to be able to find some uh, compromises on in the tax arena. The harder places will be the very uh, significant contrasting differences in, in education, where Democrats are proposing significant investments in funding our schools and taking care of our students, and Republicans are, are really kind of MIA on investing in education. And uh, we haven't uh, touched on it yet, but what about uh, crime legislation. There's a lot of concern about it, a lot of people worried about it. Do you think that's something that will pass this year that you'll be able to reach an agreement with the Senate on? I think so. I think there's also a bipartisan commitment to doing something on public safety. You know, the Minnesota House DFL has always come in with a robust uh, proposed investment in public safety, and we struggle to get our conservative Republican friends in the Minnesota Senate to join us in making investments in public safety at the state level. Now, this is a year where um, I think because it's really at the top of the list of concerns for Minnesotans, we should be able to find some bipartisan agreement to make some investments. But when we look at public safety, we have to look at um, both fighting crime and also preventing crime. And I think investments in our communities are really about prevention of crime over the longer term. And we have a great proposal on that by Chair Carlos Mariani and Vice Chair Cedric Frazier. We are talking with the Speaker of the Minnesota House, Melissa Hortman, this hour about the uh, proposals from the Democrats at the state capitol, the legislature about to take a a break for Easter and Passover. So uh, certainly there will be a lot of work to be done when they get back trying to sort this all out. And let me ask you about something that uh, appears to be stuck, and that is this proposal to uh, replenish the unemployment insurance fund uh, 
The Senate has passed a bill, $2.7 billion. The governor says he supports that amount to repay the federal government and restock this account, and they say it will spare businesses across the state from paying higher taxes. And yet, uh, you have not passed it yet in the House. You say you want to tie it to those pandemic worker bonuses. Uh, is there any progress on, on that issue right now? Well, we have not had really uh, meaningful negotiations with the Minnesota Senate. They are still in an ultimatum mode of uh, they they have their initial position and they're stuck on their initial position. And uh, we have moved $700 million in their direction. The Senate has still not moved a dollar in our direction. House DFLers are committed to taking care of frontline workers first. We made an agreement with Senate Republicans June 23rd, 2021, that we were going to send out uh, bonuses to frontline workers, and we allocated $250 million for that. This fall, Senate Republicans weren't ready to come back to the Capitol because they were really um, intent on firing the governor's commissioners. And so the frontline workers have been waiting In the meantime, we've gotten this uh, budget surplus forecast that shows us that we can afford to do more for frontline workers. So House Democrats are entirely willing to work on repaying the unemployment insurance trust fund, but we insist on paying our frontline workers first. Well, and the House has passed a bill, a billion dollars for frontline workers. Um, Do you think Republicans see that as Democrats sort of keeping their voters happy? I mean, with giving money to nurses and service employee workers, uh, you know, groups that traditionally back Democrats? I'm really indifferent to how Republicans see it. What it is is a recognition that there are folks who really put their lives on the line during COVID and their families' lives. So whether those were meat cutters, whether those were our grocery store workers, who, thank goodness, were on the job and kept us all fed during the pandemic, or nurses or police officers or firefighters, those folks earned a bonus during COVID, and it is overdue. Does the impasse on these two issues indicate that negotiations on the the taxes and the budget and education are not going to go well? No, we reached a deal last week on reinsurance. So we uh, reached a deal to lower the premiums for 165,000 Minnesotans in the private insurance market, uh, an estimated of 30% uh, this coming fall. And that was a deal that was valued at about $891 million. So we can compromise and find the middle where both sides are, are willing to engage in give and take. On the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund and frontline workers, Senate Republicans have been completely unwilling to move towards our number on frontline workers. And that's what's holding up a deal right now. Well, you said a few weeks ago that it looked like uh, the majority leader in the Senate, Jeremy Miller, uh, didn't want to deal on these issues because he thought he'd do well in the elections this fall and they'd have the whole surplus to carve up next year. Do you still think that? I feel uh, a little bit less like that is where they're headed and more uh, in in hopeful about our ability to reach some bipartisan agreements. I think that the people of Minnesota sent us to the state capitol to do some work. And so I I would be disappointed if Senate Republicans tried to intentionally blow things up and take all the issues to the election. In my view, right now, we're all together at the Capitol on Team Minnesota. We'll put our red jerseys and our blue jerseys on after the session's over and go fight it out on the campaign trail. But while we're at the Capitol, I think there's a lot of possibility for some good bipartisan work for the people of Minnesota. 
It seems like, though, Republicans and Democrats in this divided government have had a really hard time reaching an agreement on time. Um, This year, I mean, you've got this huge surplus. If there's not an agreement, the budget is balanced. Um, If you can't reach an agreement on time, will there be a special session or will you just put your jerseys on and, and go out and campaign? Well, I think we'll take that as it comes. And and right now, I would say that it looks like we will reach an agreement on time and there will be a good budget deal for the people of Minnesota. Ever so slight possibility that a deal comes late and there's a couple days extra just of processing bills. Uh, But I think it's highly unlikely that you would have a special session beyond uh, May 23rd if there's not a deal by then. Because this is not a budget year and the state budget... uh, is enacted and the state government is funded. So nothing stops if there isn't a deal. But Minnesotans really need for us to reach some agreements. When the students go back to school this fall, it will make a difference for them if there are more counselors at school, if there are more social workers at school. For families who are struggling with the cost of childcare, it will make a difference if we have helped to make childcare more affordable. So uh, my hope and my expectation is that we will be able to get some of those things done. I mentioned you're about to take a break, a week off for uh, Passover and Easter. Is that helpful at this stage or, or um, would you rather just keep working? It is really helpful for people to have that time with their families and to rest and recharge. Uh, Since we got the state budget surplus forecast uh, the first week of March, the members of the legislature have been meeting constantly in committees and hearing bills of different proposals of how to spend that money. So they've been working uh, very, very long days, very stressful conversations and debates to put bills together. So I think that the break will be good. It will allow everybody to kind of hit the reset button, get recharged. And, you know, I I think you shouldn't feel discouraged about the conflict you see at the state capitol. There is supposed to be conflict in politics. Our founding fathers set up our system of government to have these debates, to make these decisions together as a people. And the people of Minnesota have, have seen it in their wisdom to elect a House uh, full of Democrats and a Senate full of Republicans. So if to honor the voters, we need to have those contrasting ideas, battle it out and and to find some compromises. And, and I don't think anybody should think that conflict in politics is a bad thing. That is the system and it is by design that we battle out on our priorities. Well, if it's a bad thing, it sure seems like there's a lot of it here and in Washington. Um, let me ask you quickly about a couple smaller issues. Uh, this uh, legalized sports betting, is is that likely to happen this year? I think it is. I know that the Commerce Chair in the House, Zach Stevenson, has been working very hard to bring uh, different groups together and to dive deep into how we could do this in Minnesota in a way that makes sense. And my understanding is that a lot of the competing interests in the arena have kind of coalesced around a compromise proposal. So I'm hopeful about that. Well, speaking of that committee and that is its authority, there's this uh, push to allow some of the bigger breweries to sell growlers and keep selling six packs and stuff like that. Do you think that'll happen this time? It sounds like that is also a very hopeful situation. Chair Zach Stevenson has also been busy talking to all those who have interest in changing the liquor laws in the state of Minnesota. And there's been an impasse for for like five years where nothing has happened. And it appears we're on the precipice of an agreement where we could make quite a few changes in our state's liquor laws. 
Well, as long as we're not in the Capitol, uh, you can you can talk a little bit about the campaign. A uh, lot of signs out there that uh, it's going to be a tough election year for Democrats. Inflation is high. The president's approval rating is low. Um, people are tired of COVID-19, want to move on. Uh, will Democrats be able to hold on to the House in the November election? Yes. In addition to all the things that you just talked about, there's another thing that's going on in politics, and that's a geographic realignment where uh, Democrats are having a stronger and stronger hold in the suburbs and Republicans are having a stronger hold in greater Minnesota. The reason why that is in favor of Democrats is more Minnesotans now live in the cities and in the suburbs than in greater Minnesota. And so the new maps after this redistricting round are really good for House DFLers. There are a lot of suburban seats and they are places that are solid blue and getting more blue. You look at a community like Edina, where uh, maybe five or 10 years ago, we would have no hope that Democrats would win a community like Edina or Eden Prairie or Minnetonka. And now those are so solid blue that Republicans struggle to even recruit candidates in those areas. So so you think that will give you enough momentum, even with some of these pretty strong headwinds, it seems like? Well, there's two trends that will clash against each other, the the midterm trend and the geographic realignment trend. And I feel strongly that our candidates that have been recruited and that are getting endorsed um, match the communities that they're from and that this geographic realignment is ultimately to our favor and we will hold the majority in the Minnesota House. And so what will the message be as your candidates go out uh, later in the year knocking on doors and talking to their constituents? And even this week, maybe, if they're out talking to constituents. Yeah, House DFLers have always been um, those uh, individuals at the state capitol who work hard to invest in education. And Minnesotans feel very strongly about having a strongly funded education system, but also protecting the rights of workers and making sure that when we look at things like tax cuts and the state budget as a whole, that we're prioritizing workers, seniors, families. And I think that people will be rejecting the Republican uh, approach of cutting taxes for the wealthy and corporations. We've seen that that is not a way uh, to make middle-class Minnesotans more successful, and Democrats are on the right path. And you sound fairly confident that you'll be able to wrap this up with some de- deals or, or agreements in, in some of these major areas by the third week of May. With a projected $9.2 billion surplus, we have enough money to put a significant chunk uh, away on the bottom line to prepare in case there's a downturn uh, due to the war in Ukraine or other factors. And there is sufficient money to take care of uh, Democratic and Republican priorities. The key is having folks at the negotiating table who are capable of looking for a win-win, and I'm hopeful that we have that this year. DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman, thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, It's good to see you. I hope you'll come back again as the year goes on. Well, thanks for having me, and we'll be happy to see you at the Capitol anytime you want to drop by. All right. Coming up, we're going to check in with a Republican leader in the House to get their perspective Ann New Brindley is on the line. She's a Republican representative from North Branch and is the deputy minority leader in the Minnesota House. Representative New Brindley, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, as we were talking uh, the last uh, half hour, Democrats in the House rolled out their tax bill this week. Uh, there's a lot in there, child tax care credit, uh, money for housing, health care, 
student loan break. It's a $1.6 billion, uh, $1.6 billion bill this year and for the next two years. But it's not an income tax rate cut like the Republicans passed in the Senate this week. So looking at it now, do you think there's any Republican support in the House for this DFL plan? Uh, Well, I think that there are some pretty significant concerns with the Democrat plan. The reality is they have proposed $21 in new spending for the state for every dollar of tax increase that they have proposed. And uh, even the things, uh, the items in their tax bill are are things that are um, being proposed as or being uh, discussed as tax Uh, relief when really they are just additional spending being paid out through the mechanism of the tax bill and and of the Department of Revenue. But they aren't actually relieving any current taxes. So I I think that there's a ways to go on that tax bill. Yeah. Isn't a tax credit, though, uh, a tax cut, basically? And does the 21 to 1 uh, count the tax credits and and as uh, as spending? Well, what they do count as spending, that's correct. And what they are is they really are spending items and they, they really are uh, direct payments to, to folks done through your income taxes, done through your, your tax, uh, your tax forms that you fill out each mm-hmm. year. Um, but, but they're not necessarily tax relief. They are simply, uh, payments, direct payments to folks for other things being done through their taxes. But if you have a, a kid in childcare and you get a $3,000 tax credit, I mean, that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, certainly we've got, we have, we have a significant issue in the state of Minnesota with childcare. Um, the problem that we have here though is that, and, and frankly, this is the problem that we have across the board with the Democrat budget. There is a lot of spending. There's $12 billion in proposed spending in the Democrat budget, but there are very few solutions on how to solve the actual problems and, and, how, to, um, and how to implement policies that will actually make changes to the system to relieve some of the pressure and burden building up in the system that we have. Mm-hmm. So, so what would you suggest? What would the Republicans' plan be? Well, certainly, you know, I mean, we have lots of workforce issues affecting the state across the board. Uh, unfortunately, they're not unique to any individual industry, uh, but we've got workforce issues, and we need we need creative solutions. We need to be working not just with our high schools and technical colleges, but we need to be working in our high schools, making changes um, on on education paths for students. Right now, there is there is a significant focus on funneling students into um, four year colleges, and and for many students that's appropriate, but for many students that's not appropriate. And we need to make sure that we are offering alternate career paths that can be started even at the high school level to ensure um, a more prepared workforce coming out of our high schools. There are lots of creative things that we can be doing. But unfortunately, you know, for example, I serve on the on the committee for homelessness and um, we can continue to put money into homelessness in perpetuity. 
we 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 do spend a hundreds of millions of dollars in that space now. But if we can't get to a point where we are finding solutions and all we are doing is providing additional money, we're not actually solving a problem. We are just funding a problem instead of funding solutions. Well, what's the solution for homelessness? Don't you need to build more houses that people can actually afford to live in? Well, let's talk about that. That's an interesting point. Yes, that is certainly part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we have a housing crisis in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have fewer inventory on the market. We have a smaller inventory on the market than any state in the entire country. We really do have a crisis in Minnesota. On the flip side of that, however, it costs 30% more to build a home in the state of Minnesota than it does in any of our surrounding states. And we are talking about same amount of land, same home plan, even the same builder. But because of the additional regulations that we have in the state of Minnesota, it literally costs 30% more to build a home in Minnesota than it does elsewhere. So imagine what we could do for affordable housing if we actually reformed our regulatory environment and made it easier to build homes and made it less expensive to build those homes in the state of Minnesota. That would go a long way towards making those reforms. Well, let me ask you about education because the uh, the DFL education bill spends about a billion dollars a year for schools over the next few years. Uh, much more than the version the Senate's working on now. Uh, what do your members think about that? Sure. Um, there Again, there is significant concern about how that money is being spent. Um, while they are proposing a ton of money going education, into education, they're not proposing a dime for the, the general education funding formula. Those are the dollars that are actually the most flexible for school districts. And um, really, they allow those local school districts to make the decisions for their individual districts uh, that fit their needs. Um, And right now, with a billion dollars in new spending, it is shocking that none of that money is going towards the formula. Uh, The governor proposed, I think, a 2% uh, increase in the formula. Would you support that? I think so. So two percent is pretty much what we do annually. We that at least that has traditionally been the case for many years now is that we do increase the funding for education every single year by about two percent, which is significant funding, especially when you look at the totality of the education budget. We also need to look at the fact, though, that we have had a lot of additional funding come into the state throughout COVID from uh, federal funds and 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 other sources over the last couple of years that I, I think we need a better handle on how that is coming in. I would also just add that, you know, when we look at the way this education funding is being distributed, there's really an inequitable distribution of the funding, whether that is through the governor's proposal or or House Democrats proposal, there's nearly two times as much money going per pupil to students in Minneapolis than they are in the rest of our schools. And that's really a problem for the rest of Minnesota. That's creating a huge inequity in opportunity, frankly, for schools across the state. 
So, so uh, tell me if I'm mishearing you, but I, I, I think I'm. What I'm hearing you say is, it's not so much the amount you have a problem with, but how it's being spent. Certainly, that is always a concern for us. That's always a concern for us. Um, you know, we see all the time money being poured into a system that frankly is not showing any different results. We look at, like I said, two times as much money per pupil in Minneapolis than the rest of the state with the proposed funding. And yet they have the largest achievement gap in the entire country, not even just in the state, but in our country. It is abysmal and we're not doing what we need to do with those funds. So so while on the one hand, uh, we continue to pour money into systems that are not performing well, um, we're allowing uh, we're allowing these problems to persist, and and again, there is a complete lack of policy. There's a complete lack of ingenuity to make real change. We're talking with uh, State Representative Ann New Brindley. She's a Republican from North Branch and Deputy Minority Leader in the Minnesota House, talking about the plans for the nine and a quarter billion dollar surplus at the state capitol. What's going to happen over the next few weeks? I guess we'll find out. You know, uh, Representative New Brindley, there's still a tie-up uh, over the bill uh, the Senate passed weeks ago to re- refill the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund so that uh, businesses will get a break on paying higher taxes. Uh, I assume that bill would fly through the House with a lot of Republican support if it came up on the floor. Certainly, certainly. I mean, this is the kind of tax relief we need to do. Uh, again, with with over $10 billion in surplus, we are overtaxing our citizens and we're overtaxing Minnesotans at a time when average Minnesotans are feeling the squeeze. I mean, I, I'm sure that that your listeners know that, you know, a lot of the conversations we're having with our friends and neighbors right now are at the are about the increased costs. It's what we're paying at the pump. It's what we're paying for a carton of eggs right now, if we can find a carton of eggs right now. I mean, I paid I paid uh, $5 per pound of chicken last week. These are the things that everyday families are being hit with. And when we talk about this UI trust fund, those are the families that we're talking about. We are talking about small businesses across the state of Minnesota. The majority of those funds will be going to provide relief for small business owners. And we're talking about folks who are paying for dance lessons for their kids. They're putting food on their table. They're paying to put gas in their vehicles. Those are the folks we're talking about. And this this relief really is critical. Uh, that you, Those increased UI taxes have now gone into effect. And we are hearing consistent stories. We are hearing stories of folks who are receiving 200, 300, even 500% increases in their UI tax bills. Um, it's, it is not sustainable for our small businesses. Uh, Democrats say they want to uh, tie it to the pandemic bonuses for uh, frontline workers. I know you were on the task force that tried to come up uh, with a plan for that, but uh, couldn't get an agreement in the end. What's the holdup? And if, you know, if people are hurting so bad from inflation, don't those frontline workers need, a, need some help too? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very frustrating to me serving on the committee. I mean, the reality is every Minnesotan, we can give, we can give all folks, and, and frankly, I, I certainly 
um, engaged in that process. And I, and I asked to be on that working group. I thought it was a really neat opportunity to provide those bonuses for workers. But the reality is that we're in a different position now than we were when, um, when we were working on, through that working group. And right now we can give a small bonus to every, you know, every worker in the state of Minnesota, or we can give ongoing permanent tax relief to those same workers. Uh, and, and I suspect having that additional money in their pockets every month will be much more meaningful over the long run than having a one-time bonus. There is uh, likely going to be a bonding bill uh, to pay for public construction projects. Uh, your caucus, Republicans, will have a big say in that because it takes a 60% to pass it. Uh, what's that bill going to have to look like in order for your caucus to support it? You know, I think I think what we're looking for is what most Minnesotans are looking for. You know, the bonding bill serves a purpose, and that purpose is to make sure we are maintaining critical infrastructure in the state of Minnesota. And so we want to see a bonding bill that is focused on making sure we are maintaining and improving our roads, our bridges, our critical infrastructure. Those those um, those assets in the state of Minnesota, we call it HEPR, those assets that we already have that we need to maintain and make sure that that uh, that we are not losing the assets that we already have, making sure that we have adequate water infrastructure in the state of Minnesota. Those are the things that we want to make sure we are seeing in a, in a bonding bill. Okay. Um, what are Republicans, what do you have to do to flip control of the House in this year's election? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that it's likely looking like a good year for Republicans, um, which tends to be the case in in um, the the first midterm of of a sitting president that the party of the opposite the opposing party um, is likely successful. But there are there are really some indications that this is going to be sort of a historic year. What we saw happening in Virginia and and even New Jersey is that. Um, any seat where Republicans typically had greater than 40%, 45% of the vote in 2020 uh, were won by Republicans. And that would that would amount to about 81 House seats hmm. this year for us. You know, if you look at 20, 2016, we had a historic majority of 77 seats coming out of that presidential election. Well, Republicans are currently running about 10 points better than we were in 2016 when we came out with that historic majority. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the, the, our Democrat colleagues, our Democrat friends are simply wrong on, on a lot of the issues that are important to Minnesotans right now. You look at public safety and what is happening in public safety. And, and finally, they have come around to giving some lip service um, to making some changes and investments in public safety. But the reality is, the, the actual proposals are not coming through. They're falling short. Uh, you look at the problems in our economy and inflation right now. And while, while families, while Minnesota families are hurting and they are feeling the effects of, the inf of inflation at the pump when they pay their electric bill every month, like I said, when you go and try to even find a carton of eggs, this is a huge hit on Minnesota families right now. And while families are hurting, our Democrat colleagues are proposing $12 billion in new government spending. The government, the state of Minnesota is currently flush with cash while Minnesota families are hurting. 
Um, and so, you know, Democrats are just wrong on some of these issues as well. So I, I think that the election likely looks good for Republicans. And New Brindley, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. That's Republican Representative Ann New Brindley of North Branch. She's the Deputy Minority Leader in the Minnesota House. And to round out our program today, I'm joined by two of Minnesota's top political reporters. Our own Brian Baxt is here. You hear him all the time here on NPR News. And we have a special guest star, Brianna Biersbach from the Star Tribune. Thanks for coming on, Brianna. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I think you two were listening uh, there to Ann New Brindley uh, at the end. She seems, uh, well, I, I don't want to say overconfident, but she seems very confident that Republicans... Uh, will win a lot of seats in the state house this year. Uh, what do you think of that assessment? She brought up that Virginia situation, Brianna. I know you had a story about that last Sunday. Yeah, Republicans are really sort of looked at that Virginia election last fall, um, where Republicans in a state that elected Joe Biden with 10 percentage points over Donald Trump, you know, flipped all of their statewide offices from Democrat to Republican, and they flipped the House, um, the House of Delegates in Virginia, which is exactly what Republicans are trying to do here while maintaining control of the Senate. Um, and that's that's absolutely possible. In Virginia, Republicans had to flip seven seats. They only actually have to flip four here in Minnesota to take control. Um, and with redistricting, scrambling up all of the districts, um, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think it is a very real possibility that that, that happens. And Brian Baxt, uh, I don't know if you heard Speaker Hortman, but she seems confident that uh, Democrats can hold on just because of their strength in the suburbs. Well, the suburbs is where the majorities will be won or lost from both the Senate and the House. And that's that's been the battleground for quite a while now in the Minnesota legislature. Uh, but, but, you know, Joe Biden's approval rating isn't helping Minnesota Democrats or, or Democrats around the country. If he doesn't uh, improve his standing, it's going to be hard for a lot of these Democrats to get out of his shadow and to get pulled down uh, with him. But there's still quite a bit of time left between now and November. There's some key things coming up, including a major Supreme Court ruling on abortion that could motivate voters on both sides of the uh, political spectrum. So, I mean, it's a ways to go yet, but Republicans are certainly bullish about their November prospects. Well, and of course, another uh, office on the ballot this fall is governor. And I wonder if um, the situation now for Democrats uh, makes it uh, maybe more necessary for Governor Tim Walls to be uh, out you know, raising hands with the divided legislative leaders on the last day of the session saying we got a deal and we're going to cut taxes and we're going to spend a little more and it's all going to be great. Um, What do you think, Brian? He's been presenting this optimistic front for much of the year that they can get things done, that there's plenty of money to get things done. So far, we haven't seen much that's gotten done. Obviously, the most of the decisions are backloaded in these legislative sessions, but the governor has been trying to just say that divided government can work. I mean, he's been operating in divided government through his entire uh, time in office. Uh, he is, you know, he's got a difficult campaign ahead of him as well. He's, he's got 
he's going to be a Democrat running in, in a headwind environment. There are multiple candidates on the Republican side vying to take him on. And there are multiple third party candidates who might peel a percent or two off here or there to make things much tighter than they were for him when he was elected in 2018. Um, Brianna Biersbach, uh, it seems like... Uh the two sides at the Capitol right now are pretty far apart on this budget. I mean, the, the the Senate wants to cut taxes by a total of more than $8 billion over three years. Democrats not willing to go nearly so far. Do you think uh, they're going to be able to make a deal at the end? Yeah. I mean, this is the part of session where it's kind of the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, right? Um, and usually by the end, when you have divided government, what sticks is somewhere in between the two sides. But because this is not a budget year, because they don't actually have to do anything, um, there could be a lot more that just falls away, right? Big, ambitious ideas to spend the surplus. Um, if they can't find somewhere in the middle, they just don't happen at all. That is that is a very real possibility without the pressure of having to pass a two-year budget. Um, and we have new leaders in the negotiations this time. Senator Jeremy Miller, while seen as, as, a, as a compromiser and sort of a negotiator and, and someone who can work with both sides, um, you know, is, is a new face and has to sort of figure out how he works with his Republican Senate caucus um, and how he, he fits and negotiates with Democrats. So, I mean, we have to always remember in a non-budgeting year that, that absolutely nothing has to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian Baxt, um, did the governor get frozen out on these tax deals? Neither side went with the walls check. Yeah, that was interesting that there, there wasn't even at least a bone thrown to him. Uh, th- there was a rebate proposal, as Speaker Hortman mentioned, in the House plan, and that might be the window he needs to kind of slide through. But his plan was put up to a vote yesterday in the Senate, and there were uh, five or six Democrats who voted against it. And one of the reasons that people have been raising about it is, you know, it has to be structured in a way where the federal government can't come in and tax it tax these benefits. If you remember back in the 1990s and early 2000s when they did the Jesse checks, they were fashioned uh, as a sales tax rebate. And that was the way around having them being federally taxable. This would have been just a one-time check. So potentially the federal government could have got its hooks into some of this money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say that governors do tend to get a lot of what they want in the end. Um, I wouldn't say it's dead yet. It could come back in some kind of final tax package as well. Yeah, maybe it'll be a fallback position if they can't uh, agree on other stuff. Um, Brian, uh, Democrats say that uh, most of the tax cuts in the Senate Republican plan go to people at the top of the earning scale. Are they right? Well, it's it's complicated. And, and so here, here's how it works. The, the Senate bill would cut the lowest income tax rate from 5.35% to 2.8%. And that's the rate assessed on roughly the first $25,000 of taxable income for singles and up to $40,000 for, for married filers. So everyone would get that first increment. But the Social Security tax exemption that they're talking about, that generally skews toward people in upper income echelons because the state has subtractions now that shields a lot of the Social Security income from taxation up to a certain level of probably about fifty or sixty thousand dollars right now for for filers. So so everything uh, on the Social Security end does skew toward those upper earners. They could get CC savings of uh, up to twenty seven hundred dollars, depending on how much they make. Whereas a lot of the income tax cuts, the average is more in the line of seven or eight hundred. And Brianna, the Republicans' uh, message is the Democrats are spending much more than they're cutting in your taxes. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at the proposals that are still, we're still kind of getting the full picture of it. But, but yeah, Republicans are are spending most of the surplus on um, tax cuts and and things like pay raises and long-term care, whereas Democrats are spending it on things like child care, um, you know, uh, lowering prescription drug costs, a, a number of, of things. Um, and that is what it looks like. Um, that, that is pretty typical um, as far as Democrats and Republicans go in Minnesota and across the country. Um, they have just very vastly different philosophies on um, what government should do when it has more money on the bottom line than, than it needs. Um, Democrats tend to think we need to build back um, from the toll of the pandemic. Republicans' big message this year is we are collecting way too much. Minnesotans are hurting. We should give it back. Well, uh, you both have uh, a week off now to uh, to gather strength for the final push at the <laughs> end here. Uh, good luck to both of you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Mike. That's uh, Brian Baxt with NPR News, Brianna Biersbach with the uh, Star Tribune, two of the best political reporters in the state, no doubt about it. And that will just about do it for our program this Friday. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Our producer is Maya Beckstrom, technical director Jess Berg. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live, tune in each Friday at noon. I'll be talking about what's happening at the legislature, the 2022 elections, and other things.